welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing Alain Collard's Around the World Alone, and we're on Chapter 7. Chapter 7. The Last Straight Line Once I've made the final turn out of Drake Passage, I'm going to have to get underway as soon as possible. Somehow, I feel that once Manoreva is out of the inhuman latitudes, I'll be able to get back into a racist frame of mind and make some headway. I'm already behind schedule. Cutty Sark's record between Sydney and Cape Horn was 23 days. It's taken Manoreva 38. But you don't enter an ocean without paying a toll. The night of February the 3rd, the Atlantic had prepared a sort of welcoming party for me in the form of bad weather. The warning signs had been right. The following day it was still drizzling, the water was quite rough and the temperature dropped to 37 Fahrenheit. I was very tempted to head north as fast as I could but first I had to get far enough from shore and round Burwood Bank where, if my luck did not hold, I would find a wave with Manoreva's name written on it. In the middle of a squall I saw a magnificent rainbow to the south. There were large albatrosses escorting me and even at night the polar halo was there like the light of a full moon refusing to abandon us to the darkness. The sea, even when it threatens, does not refuse favours to the sailor. The following day, it continued wet and cold. The sea was still rough and I remained at the tiller continually, watching every wave so that we would not be somersaulted stern over stem. Squall followed squall until my hands began to shrivel from the constant wetness. There is an old railroad man saying that one storm can give birth to another. That was exactly what was happening, and it seemed to me that the bit of folk wisdom expressed in the adage might well be applied to the sea. The waves did not allow me a moment's rest. I did try to take advantage of a period of relative calm to stretch out on my berth for just an instant, when a particularly heart-stopping list doused the cabin and my chart table thoroughly. It took me 300 strokes with a hand pump to bail out the water. My legs were still weak and trembling with emotion while I worked. The generator, once more, has broken down, and has not worked since yesterday. For the past two days I've been using the storm jib. I haven't dared to head north because the sea is so rough. The waves are from 35 to 50 feet high. Nonetheless, I've now made a decision. The first time that I sight a school of penguins, or the first relative calm weather that arrives, we will go hard to port and head due north. The ice is not far away, and Manoreva, taking advantage of the storm from the west in 48 hours, has already covered half the distance between Cape Horn and the South Georgia Islands. Wednesday, February the 6th. Everything is going better this morning. The barometer is climbing, the sun is peeking out, and the sea is gradually becoming calmer. With the mizzen hoisted and Manoreva set on a northward course, I fell into bed and slept like a rock. I was utterly exhausted by the hours spent at the tiller, watching each wave as it loomed up and telling myself, Now, Kala, veer. Every time you veer, you're one step away from Cape Horn and one step closer to home. Toward the end of the day, after having installed four new slides, I was able to finally hoist the mainsail. The next few days confirmed me in my good mood. With the Falkland Islands lying 200 miles to the west-southwest, I truly had the feeling that Cape Horn was behind me and that I had reached the outer edge of the really dangerous seas. They were calm days, but active nonetheless. 
I had clothes to dry, the aft compartment to bail out, the forward storage bins to organise, the electrical circuits of the generator to check out, it was still not working. The interior temperature hovered at about 64 Fahrenheit and I felt almost indecent without my heavy sweaters and my oilskins. Between manoeuvring and climbing the mainmast to run up a mended halyard, I even found time to patch a pair of outrageously ragged pants, to observe the tea hour every afternoon, in a word, to begin living once again. I was particularly careful with the mainsail because even though the sky was clear, there were occasional gusts strong enough to make me worry about mishaps. Meanwhile, a little voice inside me kept whispering, don't be an idiot, get home as fast as you can. The tally of my sixth week out of Sydney shows that I've covered 1,288 miles. The total mileage from Sydney is 7,303 for a daily average of 173.8 miles in a speed of 7.2 knots. Alain Collard, wholesaler of miles. Sunday, February the 10th. Last night, I was topsides manoeuvring in my pyjamas. What a luxury. My meridian position is less than 600 nautical miles from Buenos Aires. I'll try to establish radio contact this evening. Just a little farther and I'll be out of the roaring 40s. Manareva has now covered half the distance of this second stage, but we're going to have to hustle if we're going to make it back to San Marlo before the end of March, that is, before the end of the 90 days that I set for myself. The barometer is falling and the sunset, the whole horizon was a dirty pink, promises nothing good for tomorrow. Rather than risk running into a line of squalls, I hauled down the mainsail. I'm going to have to make a decision in the next couple of days concerning navigation lights. Until now, the icebergs in these waters guaranteed that any ships in this area were using their radar and would pick me up on their screens. But once I've passed the 38th parallel, there will be no more ice. At that point, I will either have to show lights or stand watch at night and take naps during the day. Wednesday, February the 13th. We've now reached the level of Montevideo to port and the Cape of Good Hope to starboard. In fact, I think we're too close to Montevideo, but it was important to head north and to put as much distance as possible as quickly as we could between ourselves and those latitudes which seem designed by nature exclusively for masochists. The sea has been rough for the past couple of days. Occasionally, I've had to lie too, and I've been using navigation lights at night. The wind from the west and the strong swell indicate that there is bad weather somewhere. We are, in any case, now out of the 40s, just barely out, but out nonetheless. It is about 6,000 miles from here to San Marlo, which is to say a distance equal to twice that of the transatlantic. The weather, though not all that bad, is eating up my meagre electrical supply, because I have to make use of the Decker automatic pilot to hold our course. If this keeps up, I'm going to have to resort to manual steering and, when I can't be at the helm, to head eastward under full sail. Frankly, I've just about had it with machines that never seem to be working properly. The whole trip has been one breakdown after another and they've taken much of the pleasure out of it. Friday, February the 15th. I've had nine consecutive hours of sleep which did a great deal to settle my nerves. Until then, I was in a very black mood indeed. I'm still having problems with the speed indicator and it's impossible for me to use all the sail that I want. Manareva's bow seems to swing every which way and we spent a lot of time in unplanned jibing. My only consolation was that yesterday I saw several flying fish and yesterday also at dawn there was a magnificent double sun effect which climaxed in a triple sun. Manareva 
has now covered 1,700 of the 3,700 nautical miles between Cape Horn and the equator, a distance which Cutty Sark covered in 26 days. We are almost halfway there, and so far it has taken us 11 days. This gives me a pretty good idea of our time. I've just noticed an interesting coincidence. The crossing of Cutty Sark, which took the longest time, is the one that corresponds most closely to the time of the year of Manoreva's trek. Cutty Sark left Sydney that year on December the 14th and reached the channel on March the 16th. Another departure from Sydney on January the 7th ended in an arrival in the channel on April the 8th. My figures at the end of the seventh week show that we've covered only 1,001 miles in the past seven days. This is the lowest figure since putting out of Sydney. Monday, February the 18th. I woke this morning to find the jib backwinding and Manoreva moving on a northerly course at five knots. There are squalls today and the weather is dark and cloudy with a temperature of 75 Fahrenheit as we cross the Tropic of Capricorn. Yesterday, at the meridian, we were only 170 miles off Rio. With the winds that we've had, if I had headed for Rio three days ago, I would have reached the city in time for breakfast and edged out the Italian boats in the Whitbread. However, if I had my choice, I would prefer to be farther toward the east than I am now. I need to make a few right turns to get more out into the open sea. Cape Frio is only 120 miles away, and the Brazilian coast is notorious for its shallows. I don't want to take a chance of running aground at this point. Still about 5,500 miles to go. Buck up, Kala. Thursday, February the 21st. A day of relaxation for the captain of Manareva, who spent most of his time in leisurely reading. I'm about 400 miles from the point where our course will intersect the course we followed on the first leg of our journey. There is something hypnotic about this vast, watery desert which seems to stretch into infinity. For the past few days, I've been very busy. I spent whole afternoons on the generator, testing the various circuits and lines. I still can't get it started without jumping it, and even then it refuses to hold a charge. There have been the usual chores such as mending the jib, cleaning everything, arranging gear in the aft compartment, trimming mildewed bread and so forth. I found two jerry cans of water that had been polluted by seawater. The stoppers must have become loose since we left Sydney, and I suppose the waves breaking over the cockpit did the rest. Fortunately, I have a reserve of water bottles in the hold, and if I shave less often, there will be no problem with fresh water. I used the brackish water for a luxurious bath, scrubbing myself from head to toe, and as a supreme act of self-indulgence, I even changed my sheets and put on an Indian shirt to mark the occasion. As far as radio contact is concerned, I've had practically no news of the race since rounding Cape Horn. Reception is very bad in these waters, and of course, I have to use electricity sparingly because of my useless generator. Since February the 18th, fortunately, Daniel Millett, skipper of 33 Export, has been relaying messages for me. In that way, I've been able to be in touch with my parents and also with my friend, the diesel expert, to explain what is happening with the generator. I've gotten some suggestions from him about how to repair what is wrong. Friday, February the 22nd. A calamity. The wind has died completely. I am outraged. For the eighth week out of Sydney, 1,304 miles, for a total mileage of 9,608, my average speed has increased slightly to 7.4 knots. I found a break in the radio antenna, which accounts for the loss of power that I'm experiencing in transmitting. I've used the little Honda generator to recharge my batteries to contact San Lee Radio this evening. I've written down a detailed description of my troubles with the generator 
because I also expect to be able to contact Claude, the diesel man, tonight. Then I felt free to call my parents to let them know that I'm all right. I told them about the approach to Cape Horn and the meeting with Endurance, and I described the actual rounding of the Cape in absolutely calm weather and the strong southwest wind the next day, which carried us along for two days. I tried to omit nothing. The flooding of the cabin, the moment when I was able to turn north like a diver rising to the surface for a first gulp of life-giving air, my escape from the roaring forties and my continuing northward course toward Rio while staying in the wake of the lead boats in the race. A course I knew to be ice-free. And finally, once past Rio, the north winds that let me move eastward in the Atlantic. We are now getting near the trade winds and the Brazilian current is becoming less noticeable. Sunday, February the 24th. Our position is between two markers, Trinidad to port and the island of Martin Vaz to starboard. These, of course, were the same islands that served to mark the routes of the tall ships beyond the capes. Believe it or not, at 1600 hours, I managed to get the generator working again. After two days of unremitting work, I found out what was wrong. Naturally, it was something that, if only I had known, I could have repaired in a few minutes, a loose connection in the junction box between the batteries and the generator itself. Now, sitting calmly at my transmitter with real light and with my navigation lights glittering away at the top of the masts, I can call my parents without worrying and have one of those heart-to-heart talks that I've missed so much for the past month. It seems to me, in fact, that the generator is working better than ever, no doubt because, in trying to find the trouble, every part has been cleaned and every circuit checked and rechecked. Along with the charge in the batteries, my morale has climbed, and I will now be able to navigate in peace without having to stay on watch from dusk till dawn because of the lack of navigation lights. What a pleasure it is to know that I can have electricity whenever I need it. It was not just a matter of reduced radio contact. I also did not have heat, light and navigation lights. The minimum charge that remained in the batteries had to be kept for use in case of major repairs. My only light was a flashlight, which I held under my arm or in my mouth, as circumstances required. Thursday, February the 28th. The weather has been magnificent for the past several days. The water is calm, the temperature hovers at 77 Fahrenheit, the air is crystal clear. The sea is like a broad highway and at night Ursa Major is high in the sky while Venus sparkles like an improbable jewel. Every day a little rainbow of droplets of water precedes us at the bow like a triumphal arch erected in Manareva's honour. Manareva is in excellent shape and she has already knocked a day off Penduic Four's time between the Cape of Good Hope and the Equator on the run from Réunion to France. As expected, we have encountered the trade winds, and we have just reached the latitude of St Helena. According to Racing Wisdom, this stretch of sea is the best sailing in the world. I am spending many tranquil hours reading accounts of life aboard the tall ships, talking to my parents, and fishing for Gilthead. I talk to Teura, who is getting ready to fly from Tahiti to Paris. It makes my head spin to think of the contrast in speed between my boat and the airliner that she will take. I was in such a good mood after talking to Teora that I pumped out the water we had taken on when I left the forward hatch open in an attempt to improve ventilation. Friday, March the 1st. Our position is 5 degrees 24 minutes south and 28 degrees 55 minutes west, well into the domain of the trade winds. We have a brisk little breeze. Our sails are like clouds on the sea and the skipper is getting his fill of samba music, from Brazilian radio stations. Very soon, I'm going to have to decide on a route around the Azores. Do we pass them to the east or to the west? 
I still don't have enough weather information to be able to decide. The only solution seems to be to ask for information from Paris. The National Weather Bureau no doubt will be able to give the position of the intertropical front and the position and probable movement of the high-pressure system in the Azores. I asked Jeff yesterday to try to get as much information as possible. Ask and you shall receive. I've just had a call from Jeff with the information I asked for. The tropical front begins at 30 degrees west, curving between 6 degrees south and 3 degrees north. The Azores high is further north than usual, with probable movement toward Ireland and the Channel within the next two weeks. It may be quite severe, and the Bureau is forecasting a pronounced extension toward Ireland. Consequently, there will be strong winds from the north-northeast between the Canary Islands and the coast of Spain. I now have all the elements I need for a decision. If I go too far west of the Azores, I will run the risk of being becalmed, and if I go too far east, I'll encounter very strong headwinds. The best course, therefore, seems to be to move northward, but without coming too close to the Spanish coast. At about 45 degrees, say, make for the channel without getting close to Cap Finisterre. I should then be able to take advantage either of winds from the north or of the western current. We are now 360 nautical miles from Cape Sam Roque. A tall ship sailing in the opposite direction along this route were wary of this spot because of the danger of being pushed off course by wind from the southeast. I saw an enormous pink Fisalia alongside, just as I finished reading an account by Shea Blythe in which he mentions a similar encounter. Luck is with me. I narrowly missed having a serious problem with the mast. One of the new stainless steel plates which anchor the foot of the mainmast to the deck has sheared because of stress. I immediately hauled down the Genoa, eased the main sheet and set up the housing for the Port Jenica winch, making sure to give adequate slack. Then after climbing the mast for a thorough check, we got underway again. This of course is the second time that I've had this problem, all because I thought there was no need to replace parts which, as it turned out, were worn. I've now slackened the rigging somewhat, and we are under reduced sail at least as far as the forward rigging is concerned. Also, I'm going to have to follow a more westerly course than I wished, because it will be easier on Manoreva. I must admit that, for the past few weeks, we've been doing a lot of beating, and then the wind was not very strong. Actually, the boat is in excellent shape now, because I've had time to do proper maintenance and repairs. My Genoas took a beating in the Pacific when I used them instead of the mainsail. The light Genoa, in fact, was in shreds when I hauled it down at the beginning of the storm after Cape Horn. In the past week, the 9th, we've covered 1,129 miles for a total of 10,734 miles since leaving Sydney. Our average is still slightly above 7 knots. According to my calculations, with the help of Reed's Marine Distance Table, I will reach San Marlo in 24 days if we follow a straight course and maintain our speed. Tuesday, March the 5th. On Sunday, March the 3rd, we crossed the equator at 28 degrees, 22 minutes west. Right now, my table shelters a chartered course for France and, of course, for Clamancy, a mere hop of some 3,400 miles. It took us 28 days from Cape Horn to the equator, while the average time of the Cutty Sark was 26 days. Given the circumstances, I have no complaints. Manareva has even cut three days from the time of Penduik 4 during her run from Reunion to France. We are now surrounded by ominously towering banks of black clouds. The rains are torrential. I've never seen rain quite so heavy. My hands and feet are never dry. In fact, I think I'm growing scales, 
and everything else aboard is soggy and damp. Nonetheless, I'm trying to reap whatever advantages I can from the weather, and I soaked myself from head to foot and then stood out in the rain to rinse off. I've also caught the rainwater to replenish my supply of water, which was not hard to do since the rain was so dense that it was almost a compact mass. The wind on the whole is from the northeast, and the swells sometimes rise to a height of 13 feet. Conditions seem to be getting worse instead of better, and I think we are in for some well-muscled trade winds. Despite the tropical downpours and the rotten weather, we are managing to make decent time between squalls, even though Manareva has a tendency to knock a good deal in the swells. I've had to stay on watch several nights because of the proximity of the rocks of St. Peter and St. Paul. One night, I was able to get Radio Television Luxembourg on the radio, and it was like a touch of home as I listened to the music. I had the urge to call in and report that, although the weather at the equator left something to be desired, we were making headway all the same. Well, that's the end of today's chapter, and we're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship, and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going round. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level. And there for $20 a month, you get access to the one hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty gritty of it and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.